2: Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Quest Love Supreme is
1: a production of iHeartRadio. What's up? This is Unpaid Bill from Quest Love Supreme. On today's classic QLS, we travel back to January of 2022 for our conversation with the legend Dougie Fresh. This is part one.
4: Shall we start it? Yeah. So uh,
0: glad we can't do roll call. God, dog, is this dug, is such uh, a roll call episode. It's really Are you Amir, rolling, Yep, Amir, I'm you rolling now. I
4: will. I will think the, of a solution so we can get please. back to roll call.
1: Audio movers, can
0: you work on?
1: I, I actually thought of one today. Like we can just, we can just do our own, our own uh, verse by yeah, ourselves. Like is, we can is- say that, yeah, and the supreme is ourselves. But you the know, whole
4: thing is the reaction to <laughs>
5: yeah. what the other person says. Yeah, exactly. And then,
0: and then our guest wants to hear yeah, ours still... so they can kind of get
1: an idea. Sometimes. Well, okay, I'll, I'll think. Of something. I got a good idea. We go back into a studio in person with people, and we do our roll calls there. Now nah, I'm good on that. <laughs> uh, Fante don't want that. All right, I'm, I'm good on that. Well, Fante no, you can always be if, even if we're live all together in a studio with a guest. Patch me just, in. Yeah, we just patch you. I'm in. with it. I'm with it. Like, we can, do can we make Fonte like Max Hedrum, know Like he's just like on a TV, you can just see his head. <laughs> can and I start like, oh, the show, please? Okay. Any- sorry. <laughs> oh,
0: uh, no small talk? Okay.
4: okay. Ladies and gentlemen. oh, that Yeah, that was the small talk. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome to another episode of Questlove Supreme. I'm your host, Questlove, and the Supreme team is with me strong. All, <laughs> yes. all five of you, or four <laughs> of you. I still don't know the proper number. Anyway, uh, uh, unpaid bill. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah Thank friend. I think, I think you're uh yeah, you're 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 doing big things in your life right now. What you got going on?
1: Thanksgiving, uh Grammys, uh, movies. Uh okay. that's it. Have... That's
5: all you can ask for in life. Hey man, uh, find many jobs as you do,
1: I'm good. How's life I'm with good. you, sir?
5: Life is good, brother. I'm good. Uh still dropping I kinda kinda at the point where you were at where I kinda hit a plateau in my job, like, I right? got yeah, so I'm down probably like 30, right now I'm down probably like 37, you know what I mean? And so i have been to just uh, switch it up a little bit and I'm going to start going meatless maybe like one or two days a week just to try, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Way. So uh, we're we switching it up a little bit.
4: Well, I'm about to let you know this, uh, what am I, I got dandelion, garlic, spinach, and cucumber. So hopefully this will do the trick and
5: get me off that plateau. I'm I was just gonna too. eat some sweet potatoes, uh, but yeah, <laughs> just, I'm gonna drink less whiskey. <laughs> That'll do it. That'll do it. Yeah, that call to put it on you. Like yeah, yeah.
0: I'm I'm good. Still got the three jobs. Moving down to where the black folks live in L.A. Real excited. Oh yeah, you got a new apartment. Talk about yeah, it. Yeah, right. I'm going going down. This is, Brent, down, moving this is down a new to... apartment you're in right now. Yeah, no, this is my mama house. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> in LA, i I got me in a nice spot. So now my parents got another bed to sleep in. I ain't got to sleep on the couch and I'm down okay. with the black folks where, live. Where do I
4: black know. people live in LA? Just let uh, our listeners know.
0: If they're lucky, they're they live in South LA, Inglewood, you know. I live, I got I'm living in Lamert by the drum circle and whatnot, which is kind of like really dope. Oh, it's been highly okay. gentrified right now because that's where the the stadium is and they're putting in the train. So Phew, it's, I, LA is it really expansion gentrification on level three. The,
4: uh, the football stadium?
0: Yeah. you still so kind. Yeah, I, I went there
4: to see uh, the last Rolling Stones L.A. show. Yeah, I hear it's And nice. I didn't realize they dropped that joint, like, right in the middle of the hood.
0: Yeah, right in Inglewood.
4: Like, the second you step off the pavement, you're definitely in Inglewood. Yes.
0: Don't you love it? As long, as long as the people can afford to stay. Yeah. Yeah.
4: It's, yeah, yeah right, right, right in the middle of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Steve? How are you? Yes, I'm good. How are you? No, uh, okay. Where am I? How are you? Right. I said, yeah. Oh, I'm, I know I'm where fine. you are. Yeah. I'm good. Okay. We Just can Let, that part you know, out. let yeah. your
5: many followers know that you're good. Yeah, everything's oh, yeah, uh, you, boss man. And congrats on the witch call. We forgot to congratulate you. the uh, on the, the Oscar. Well, the, the Oscars was? and all that. But then the uh, the the uh, short film you did for oh, the Jay Z. Uh, yeah, Jay Z. You and skills. Shout to y'all, man. I need to follow you.
4: oh okay you you didn't realize i I directed a second film like you know sometimes when 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 there's a little buzz on you then people start and you know i I got a call from uh team hove to uh settle well the thing was is that i i knew without something on that level he would not come to the rock and roll hall of fame so (laughs) i told the staff let me direct something and that will lure him to it without that he wouldn't have come he would have just you know, phoned in a speech.
0: Well, congrats on both then, getting both Thank things you.
4: done. All right. This is probably the longest. Wow. We've never gone out four minutes without even acknowledging <laughs> our guests right now.
0: We haven't talked in a while. We sorry, guests. We haven't talked in yeah, a while. Yeah, it's
4: long. been a minute. Yeah, we ain't seen it. Um, okay. So, what I will qu- quickly say about uh, our guest today is if, if I were compiling a list of the most charismatic figures. Hey in hip-hop or maybe in music, I wouldn't hesitate to put this gentleman, this gentleman would probably, and I'm, I'm trying to keep the, the, the quest level of hyperbole down to a minimum, he's probably, if not in my top three, maybe he's my number one most charismatic figure that I know in hip-hop. And my, the evidence of that for me is and I'm going beyond hip hop. I'm going to music. The evidence is in, in the, in the 35 years that I've been fortunate enough to see uh, him perform throughout those decades, I've never not seen him elevate any event (laughs) uh, to the highest level. Mm -hmm. Like I've never seen him walk in any situation with fear Mm. or trepidation it's and to me like you know i'm a guy who were overthink like oh i can't go out there i i I, you know they don't know who i am whatever like forget generational forget john i've seen him rock with Mm -hmm. you know prince tom cruise heavy d chuck brown like every from every genre i've just he's the the most charismatic and you know snoop is charismatic will smith's charismatic I can name a gazillion. Jay Z's charismatic, but you know, this our gentleman, this, this our guest today is the to world's me, greatest entertainer. Yes, Man, literally, time, time, time,
5: Lady, time, time, ladies and gentlemen,
4: <laughs> our guest today is officially known for the. P- p-
3: p- 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 <laughs> and not for the, <laughs> 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 ladies and gentlemen,
4: please give it up yes. for Doug E. Fresh on Questlove Supreme. Yes, wow. flowers. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, All let ever.
6: me tell you, it is it is an honor. It is an honor, and I appreciate y'all giving me. Or, or rather having such a long delay on the introduction because I felt because <laughs> I felt like I got caught up with all of y'all, too. And I felt like it was a family conversation and I was able to hear it close up in person, you know? Mm. So, yeah, thank you. And thank you for having me on your show, Quest. I appreciate well, it. With you. the Supreme Team and that name Supreme Team.
5: Oh, I already
6: know. In hip-hop, but oh, yeah. y'all to use that name, is is a very powerful thing because back on WHBI, it was yeah. the world famous, the Supreme, famous Supreme Team, Team. show. Mm-hmm. Peace, Allah, and Justice. Yes. And just-
3: right, right,
4: right. I heard those tapes. And yes. Just-
6: That's right. I know you did. That's why look, you are the ultimate collector. So I know that when I mention something like that, you would uh you either know it or you would appreciate it,
4: you know. Absolutely.
6: So I and I appreciate you. And I appreciate you having me on your show. Thank you. You know what?
4: I think, even though I'm going to start before that, I do believe that you are indeed, and I think about till today, you are indeed the first beatboxer the world has seen. Because I believe that your your cameo in Beat Street did predate the Fat Boys. So even though, you know, a lot of the world credits. Uh, Buffy, rest in peace to Buffy, um, as the first beatboxer they ever seen. If we really look at the timeline for all of us hip-hop heads that saw Beat Street in 1983, um, the Disco 3 Fat Boys didn't come out until 1984, so technically, and it's weird, I I don't think at the time, and I remember the Christmas rap from Beat Street, I think at the time you might have been so effortless and doing what you were doing i don't think it even registered to us that you were doing drums with your mouth
6: right you know what i mean right and it was a funny scene it was a, it was it was us trying to make people kind of laugh and right. and feel good but it's deep that you picked that up because i actually did the movie at the time because there was a scout who went up to savoy manor and I was mm-hmm. performing on that show with the Crash Crew, Mastodon and the Deaf Committee. And I believe at that time, I don't think the Force MCs was on that show at the time, but I performed there and then she gave me a card. And when she gave me a card, it said Beach Street on it. She said, do you want to be in a movie? Because what you're doing would be unbelievable to see in a movie. And I'm going to tell you some information. So I went there. And he started to see what I do. And he was like, I don't care what I got to do. I got to get you in this movie. Now, originally, Run DMC was supposed to be in Beach Street. What? And that's what I'm telling you. I think, you you know, I'm going to give you the pieces that yes. I
4: know
3: you like. Oh, yeah, let I it go. I know you
6: like this kind of stuff.
3: This is all we live that's for. This is all
6: of <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, well, y'all, well, y'all done ran to the right. Y'all done ran in the right store tonight.
3: Because this let's
6: and, go. And, <laughs> and by the way, and everything is free. Just by the way, just so you know, it's not free. just information. Thank not, you. It's just free. So, <laughs> so, you know, so, let's, right. So, but this is how it went. I was supposed to do beat when I was doing Beat Street. Harry Belafonte wanted me to do something where this thing with the beatbox could be showcased. So, what happened? Is Run DMC and Russell came up there, and they were going to be in Beat Street, but right. I don't think Russell felt good about them just doing a little segment in it. He wanted them to do more, and then right. we and then it was me, Run, in the elevator, and DMC, and, and in the room. So we they started doing one of their records, the rhymes to the second album that came out, the uh, the, the beat that sounded a little bit like Suck MCs. I don't know the exact song, but they was saying the right. That rhymes.
4: was on the King of Rock album. The
6: next album, right? Right? Yeah, right, it's right. It,
4: the um, the last song on side two. Right. Uh, it got
6: the. <laughs> yeah, it got like a little. It got a little kind of thing to it. So right. I'm in the elevator, and we start doing it. And he said, and he looked at Russell, and he said, "Yo, this will be crazy. We should get Doug to do the beatbox on this, and we could do this whole thing in the movie." We, we, and, and and then we started coming up with the idea to do it. And then, and then uh, Harry was excited about it. But then Russell pulled out. And after he pulled out, wow. then he brought in Treacherous 3. And when he brought in Treacherous 3, Treacherous 3 knew me as a kid. Because they knew me from going into Bobby Robinson's record shop all the time. Yeah. So when they seen me, they said, hey, um, you know, Harry said, Mr. Belafonte said, you know, is it any way? that you can have Dougie do this with you because I think this routine is unbelievable. So if you listen to the rhyme, they mentioned me multiple times in the rhyme. They said, you know, you know that kid Dougie Fresh from down the block? Because I right. really live down the block. You know
3: what I'm saying? Oh, okay. Mm, wow. <laughs> so I, I,
4: you, yeah. you were their label mates too because the...
6: Right, right. The
3: original... Well, I was,
6: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, uh, uh, just having fun came yes. out on on enjoy. Okay. But but what happened is that that was after, you know, Treacherous Three was already established, but I let out just having fun and I did the movie because at the time I felt like I needed to let people understand the beatbox and I needed to do something and I started to see a lot of people trying to you know kind of kind of go there with it and in the time we grew up in hip hop it was about being as original as possible so if you did something it would be considered biting but see biting mm-hmm. was was only considered bad because the only way to make hip hop survive and to be pure creatively it was necessary for you to feel that kind of pressure so if somebody mm-hmm. say you are a biter that was kind of like the worst thing that you can ever be called in your life you know what i mean it was crazy well okay and the beatbox was made up in 80 i introduced it in 82 but i made it up in 81 see because i i started in 81 at harlem world that's where i started and and when i made it i made it because i used to play the trumpet and when i played the trumpet Mm. i used there was a teacher in my class named brother lee Brother Lee was, I went to IS-201, and Brother Lee, really quick, Brother Lee was in there and he said, what do you want to play? And I pointed to the percussions and the drums. He said, well, you can't play that yet. You got to play the trumpet. I said, well, why you ask me, Brother Lee? I mean, come (laughs) on, baby, damn. And he he said, I understand. He said, but I want you to play the trumpet. So I took the trumpet home every day. And when I took the trumpet home, I would practice it, take the mouthpiece, boil it, do the whole thing do all of the exercises and then one day when I came back to school brother Lee was gone because they cut all the music programs in school so I gave them the trumpet back and I was still walking home and when I was walking home I would pass by the mom and pop record shops. so at that time uh Grandmaster Flash had out it was a Friday night everybody was breaking the highs was right Mm -hmm. and I would always say Right, there you go. And I would always hear the bass line. And when I would hear the bass line, then all of a sudden I hear all of these other things. So I would walk back and forth and I would just kind of try to keep adding more and more and more ideas to the beat to the point that I had maybe seven, eight, nine things going on at the same time. I'm up there going... And I'm going crazy now, but I'm not thinking about it, right? I'm telling you this true story. I'm not thinking about it. So then I go to Barry's house where we used to practice because Barry me B. and Will, Barry B. Barry B, B is That's me. right. That's right. We go over there and practice because that was the practice house. Long story short, I'm in there doing the beatbox and I'm doing, I think I was doing impeach the president because it was like. And I'm doing a piece to the president. And then all of a sudden, his mother comes in the room and says, that was a nice beat. I like that beat that was playing. And he said, (laughs) Ma, that wasn't the record. That was him. And now he said, that was him. And she said, well, whatever it was, it was a nice beat. And then he turned around and looked at me and said, yo, you know what? You should do that in the big park tomorrow. Because Mike and Dave was throwing jams out in the big park. He said, yo, you should call it the human beatbox. I said, I'm not going to do that. That's crazy! I'm not doing that. You're trying to you're trying to make me look crazy. He said, "I'm telling you, yo, what you just did was crazy." So then I went out to the big park, and when I did it, everybody <laughs> lost their mind, and that was the beginning of the beatbox.
4: And that was 1981. That was 1981. Okay, 82. What borough did you premiere that in? I,
6: I premiered it in Harlem. I premiered okay. it in Harlem, and then after which was a fascinating piece that I think you'll appreciate too, is that Curtis Bloch mm-hmm. came out with 125th Street, the people and the concrete. And it was on, you know, you know, you know, you yeah, know, you know. So what happened, craziest story, I was doing the beatbox. I was on Flyers with the Cold Crush, Busy B, with the Funky Four, with Fantastic with treacherous street feelings like I'm on, I'm rolling now. So now what happened is Curtis Blow was outside and this was the first time Harlem week had somebody up. Curtis Blow was the first hip hop artist to perform at Harlem week. Before that, it was never no hip hop. So when Curtis Blow was there, they mm. forgot to give him turntables because it wasn't normal. Right. So I'm walking down the street when I'm walking down the street, uh, they see me. Yo, that's Dougie Fresh right there. Yo, Dougie, come over here. And Curtis said to me, he said, Dougie, is it possible for you to get on and do the beatbox for me? Because I have no turntables. The band, There's no band. The band only know how to play for whoever's getting on next. Right. There's no CD. There was no cassette. There was nothing. And I was standing there. I was like, this is crazy. Curtis Blow is asking me to get on with him. Are you crazy? I was like, uh, Mr. Blow, uh, no problem, sir. I'm ready to do that. In the <laughs> right. So then I got on. And when I got on, Frankie Crocker was on BLS. And this is when Harlem week was big. So it was right. probably like 15,000 people outside. I got on and I did the beatbox, And that was the first time Curtis Blow heard the beat box. And that was way before oh, the fat boys. Okay. See, I did. See, that's why I'm giving you that. piece. I get it. And then I asked him later. I asked him later. I said, "Kurt, when you did this, and you know that I create, you know, you know that I did this." I said, "It didn't feel a little funny what you in there doing." Doing. He said, "Dougie, you know, he just asked me to come in and produce." And he said, "Like it's not." I said, "No, no I'm not mad at you." I said, "I'm not mad at you, but I'm just trying to understand." I said, "Did you?" He said, "Dougie, it was just so crazy. I was under so much pressure." I was like. What? I said, don't worry about it, man. I said, I just wanted to know. You know what I mean? Because if I did it for you, you called me to do it, then it was kind of strange for me to hear that you produced the Fat Boys and then the tradition in hip-hop was not about you. When you do something, see, you're trying to create your own signature. You were looking to do... And I didn't mean to do the beatbox. I just, it found me. there had to be a
0: a life lesson in that, though, Doug. Don't you feel like at the end of the day, since you were so young and that happened to you, you feel like in retrospect, was there some type of life lesson in that?
6: Yeah, you know what's interesting with the life lesson? Mm -hmm. I, I, I always feel this way, and this is the truth. I say to myself, if the music program was never cut at IS-201, And Brother Lee was no longer there. Would Mm. I have created the beatbox? I don't know. And then on top of that, what's really fascinating is Brother Lee, later on I found out, is Malcolm Lee's father. Wow.
5: And on top of that,
6: Brother Lee is also... A jazz musician whose brother is Spike Lee. Yes, I knew he oh, was Bill, yes, yes, yeah, yes, Bill yes, Lee. Bill, Bill Lee's,
4: Lee's brother. Yes. yes. Bill Lee was your teacher.
6: No, his that? brother, right? His brother was oh, yes, yes, right. right. Oh. Malcolm Lee's father was I my music it. teacher. And then guess what? Mm-hmm. When, when I made my records and I came out, I found out, I said, I gotta talk to Brother Lee was going to ask you about that lineup.
0: guitar, though. What was you going to say? Well,
6: well, well about, about, about the trumpet.
0: About the trumpet. Yeah, about right? the trumpet. I'm sorry about the trumpet. Right, right, yeah, right, the
6: trumpet. Right, right, <laughs> right. I, said, I said, Brother Lee, I'm getting ready to perform at Madison Square Garden. I said, I want you to know that I made up this thing called the beatbox. And I made it up because of you having me play the trumpet. And I said, you know, I want you to perform with me at the garden. He said, Dougie, I'm so proud of you. He said, but man, I don't know if I can handle performing at the garden. He was a jazz musician. (laughs) He said, that might be too much for me. I said, well, I just want you to know Mm. that what you did and what what happened from from the way all of these things landed turned this thing into something that in hip hop we call the fifth element. Mm. And I just want you to know that you are the reason or one of the reasons how this thing became what it is. And it was the deepest thing in the world. And then I wound up working with his son, Malcolm, on Girl Trip. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's fascinating how Ooh, these all these circles this mm. ties That's together. So dope, yeah. I, I
4: have a theory, especially in hip hop, those who pioneer, those who go first really never get the glory. Those who go second yeah. always get the shine. So, right. Yes, I think in this case, because we technically think of you as the second, you also improved on beatboxing, even though you were the first, right? and even though you came out with a single The Original Human Beatbox, whatever, right? I, I still say that, you know, it's a good thing you came second, because I don't know why, but it's just like, you know, Marley Marl started the noise thing, but then the Bomb Squad came in and really started the noise thing.
6: You right. know, they, they went there. Right.
4: Right. Right. These right. first white rappers. And yeah, they had success. But Eminem really like whoever does it second in hip hop always capitalizes it better.
0: All right, y'all, you know what season it is. Tis is the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
5: I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family
0: Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it.
5: I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of.
1: I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true?
5: Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: We got to start from the beginning.
3: <laughs>
4: First of all, where were you born? Where were you born?
6: I was born here in the US, but as a kid, I was taken back and forth to Barbados. So it's kind of like you would consider it kind of like a dual citizenship right. in a kind of a way, mm-hmm. you know, because as a kid, that's how. My parents kind of moved. And then my grandfather's from Trinidad and my grandma's from Barbados. So they was kind of, they didn't know whether I should stay in Barbados or should I be in.
4: (laughs) So then I'll ask you then when people are asking you about the origins of hip hop Mm. and being as though a lot of the first generation of that culture came from the islands, do you, do you, what is your true belief on where hip hop was born? Is it the Bronx or do we have to say that technically, you know, the the composites of, of all the residents of the islands, that's where it was born. And what are you seeing on these islands that lead you? Because something's happening there. That's bringing it to America. So.
6: Right. Right. It's a very interesting question. well, my sister introduced me to hip hop here in the U.S., but my family was so diverse in their music selection that it made it easy for me to take soca, reggae, and go go, and R&B, and all of these other musics. And it just—it was just one of these things where you're, you're you're influenced by all of these things, but in the form of hip hop in the way that I learned it because I am the first child of the first generation in hip hop, meaning that I am the beginning of like all of these people that came before me. I learned from DJ Hollywood. So my sister came home and said, there's this guy named DJ Hollywood who's rapping. I said, let me hear what he say." She said he go ring a ding a ding the dong the dong dong the dang the dang dang the ding the dong dong to the hip hop she wop the bop before anything I've ever heard. And when she told me, say it again, say it again, and I'm trying to catch it. Then my mm-hmm. brother brought in a tape with Grandma's Flash and the Furious Five. And when he brought these pieces in, and then my family lived in the Bronx and also in Harlem. So the point I'm making is that. In the form that I learned hip hop here, meaning like, I think the influence goes back way further than we really understand. Mm-hmm. But the pieces that I learned from watching Hollywood, watching uh, Lovebug Starski, being able to sit on the side of the stage at Harlem World when busy the battle Kumo D, being there in the contest. I was in that contest in 81. So we were taking all of these elements as far as like where did it originate? It originated in Harlem. It originated in the Bronx. It originated in Brooklyn. There was movements going on all
0: over. Do you guys attribute? um, As we, since we have some historians here, I'm curious. I'm like, do you attribute any of this to like scatting and at all, or do you just go straight to the? Well,
6: that's why I'm saying on the levels because see, if you're looking at it on the levels that I'm talking about, you could say. Calypso and Soka are original storytellers. You could say Yellow Man and Nicodemus, and mm-hmm. you can go back even further than that, but just use them as a blueprint. I'm getting married in the morning. You know, like, like all of these different pieces is what made up what we do. And then even, and this is my experience, you know, that, that I seen... All of these elements come together and and they were influencing me whenever I would go to a certain borough in the Bronx. I would get a particular kind of hip hop. When I'm in Harlem, I watch Hollywood burn the Apollo down. See, Hollywood mm-hmm. is the architect of crowd participation. And I learned, I learned the skill directly from him. So I know I know things about it that nobody, mm-hmm. you will never know this because it doesn't exist. And he, like, he had it, he gave it to me, and I understand the dynamics of it that, like, maybe another kid might not, uh, like, Batman Scoop grew up watching me. Right. So he understands some of the dynamics of it. So what I'm saying is, is that it just kept evolving because everybody was doing it in their own experience. So I can only respond to, the experience that I had, but I was in all of the boroughs, most of the boroughs studying it, you know?
4: Okay, so that leads me to what I said at the the top of the show, which is the thing that I admire and the thing that I want to learn from you the most, Tariq actually learned this from you, you have a way of commanding the crowd that's not forced, because usually in hip-hop, people have to, uh, at least well, the 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 the, 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 the modus operandi. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, the modus operandi rules is it's basically a lot, like come right? a at lot. full twelve thousand percent yelling uh-huh. and right. blah, 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 blah. like it, the what what the idea of what you imagine like Freddie Fox to be like chew off the microphone, <laughs> but, but you, check, but, yeah. but you okay. Um, so the thing that made me pay attention to. Your 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 crowd control. And the thing is, is like the one level that I lack in my life journey is the ability to really communicate in a way that I'm not in my head. Like, you know, because this is the thing, like right before I address a crowd or whatever, suddenly I'm in my head like, oh, man, right. I want to look like a nut out here. So what wow. I want to know is I'm I'm certain now that this is like your your fourth decade in the industry that now you just do it out off of muscle memory. Like, you know how to capture the crowd. But in those first 10 years, like even mm. without the show and Lottie Dottie, like right. in those first 10 years, how are you psyching yourself up? Because you, you to me are like hip hop's true version. I've seen most deaf do this also. You're the true version of like, when, when I watch a comedian do crowd work, You know, even without a single, without a song, you walk on the stage, you know how to engage the crowd, how to talk to them, things to do. And it always works. Like, I know you've seen, you learned it from Hollywood, but for the first 10 years, like the first five years, say, okay, right before the show, 84, you're doing crowd work. Like, what are you saying to yourself before, like, are you ever nervous in any situation like, ah, damn, who I got tonight? A bunch of white people at a, a corporate party.
6: Like, how do I do this? like wow right i remember we did that we did a corporate party together one time i remember that time. All the time. I remember, I
3: there's no that. crowd
4: you can't <laughs> rock so what what is your yeah. what is your motivational i need the motivational wow. talk on how you deal with crowd work and why do you do Yo, it so well
6: i used to host the apollo when a singer come out and he's sing, and i watched him practice before he got on he'll be like this I believe it. He's singing the notes and everything mm-hmm. is tight. His pitch is perfect. When the showtime starts and he walks out there, be, I believe it. And the audience boom right before mm-hmm. he even finishes. It. It's because they feel the frequency of fear. Mm. And when they smell it and they feel it, they automatically get out of here, man. Yo, yeah. we ain't here for You don't believe now. it. You we don't not, believe it. So why should we believe it? it? Yeah. Right. Get out. Yo, who's next? Now, if it's a little kid, if it's a little kid, it's fascinating. <laughs> little kid get up there and he'll be like, I believe They'll Be like, all right, come on, shorty. You going to do it? Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. It's encouragement mm-hmm. because he's a younger kid. You see what I'm saying? And they don't want to boo him because they want to build him up to become right, right. as great as they see him having the confidence to at least get up on that stage. But if it's an if it's a person who is giving like coming up there and you start singing and they feel fear, the frequency automatically makes them boo. So through these little lessons, I advanced the technology that I learned from Hollywood and I learned from Lovebug and Busy Bee, and I, and I was able to change. I, I, I guess, like you said, I played with it so much that I don't even think about the frequency. I feel the frequency and I just respond. To the frequency, mm-hmm. or I make the frequency what I want it to be. What you want it to be, right? And I and I bring you to that frequency. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm.
5: <laughs> it's okay. interesting.
0: Can you tell us what you feel like in your body as this is going on? Like, are in your body or, the or whole tell time? Us
4: how do you how do you talk yourself out of fear? Okay, all right, or Tariq, do that? No, no, no. Well, for real, all right. So that's a good. That's a good. Of this that's taping, a great
6: question. As of this that's taping.
4: As of this taping, Tariq has left The Tonight Show for four months, so (laughs) thus forcing me in a position where I have to address the audience, something I hate doing. I don't know know if it's that I feel Hollywood or feel,
6: you know, like, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Root Show. Well, see, that's the part right there. That's the part right there where it goes wrong. See, the fear is because you're doing something and being something that's not as authentic as you. So the key is to be you and to be you as best, like be you and enjoy being you and don't make it like you're trying to fit into something Mm -hmm, and replace it. Mm -hmm. Don't replace anything. Just be you. And the energy is so honest that people will feel that frequency and they will accept it and make it what it is. Like the same way, like your conversation now is so real that it's making me respond to you like I'm responding because I can feel what you're saying. And because I feel it, it makes me talk to you like this. And that is the same thing you have to do. And fear comes from. You're thinking. Don't think. Feel it and be you. When you think, that's where fear lives. Fear lives in thought. Fear can't exist when it's just pure energy and truth. See, fear and Ain't truth no place can't. Fear and truth can never be in the same room together because truth exposes fear. You see what I'm saying? So as much as you be yourself, fear can't be around. Like right now, I'm telling y'all the truth. And it doesn't matter to me how you feel about my truth, because it's truth. Now, if I was fearful, it's because I want you to feel a particular way about me. But I'm not concerned with your feelings right now. I'm only concerned with making sure you feel the truth. And when you feel the truth, you can determine how you feel about me. You may like me, you may not, but guess what? <laughs> you know what you're going to get when you deal with me. <laughs> you understand? The truth. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, and, and yeah. I'm saying and I'm saying it in this way to make you understand that your truth is good. Your truth is good and you don't, like he, that's that's his space. But your space is, you know, you're coming from a completely different space. And that space you're coming from, it's a good space. You just don't know it because you haven't been using it. You understand what I'm I'm saying? I'm being
4: forced to use it right now. So, you know, (laughs) we we will see how it goes (laughs) until March. All
0: right, y'all.
1: Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
5: I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy.
0: My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and and work towards it. I never seen a man
5: How'd we do today? We did good. good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the
1: Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: I feel like at some point, even for Dougie Fresh, yeah, there's an energy in your body that you may have to either suppress for the moment or figure, you know what I mean? Like it's something different going on in here sometimes than out there to get to what they need, but give them what they need.
6: Right. You're always, you know, the reason why the energy is not bothering me because my level of focus is, is, is on my, on what I want. And what I want is I want to save a life. I want to fix this problem. See what happens is this. When people are dealing, and this is fascinating how this all ties in together, Mm -hmm. because, see, when a person panics, the panic stops them from making a decision that they would have made if they didn't panic. So if a person can focus on what they're doing, panic can't get in because Mm -hmm. you're focused on what you're doing. Now, you'll feel things panic could be at the door knocking but you are focused and it, and it's 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 part of a i guess a technique like even like when i work out right say mm-hmm. i run i run and i don't use no music and sometimes what i do is when i'm running i'm taking my my mind and i'm focusing on something and i'm training it to focus on that, and and you know how the mind works. There's always a new thought that come in, even when somebody's talking to you. There's a new thought. But mm-hmm. I train my mind to block all the things, and I am focused on that. And when I'm ready, I will let you tell me what I will let. And I'm, I am hope I ain't bugging y'all out. But
5: Mm-mm. nah, I, bro. Go okay,
6: okay, okay. I will, I, will, I will decide when I want that thought to come in and I decide if I want that thought or use that thought because the focus is what, is what I'm looking at. And in order for me to be effective at that thing that I'm doing, I have to stay focused. If I'm performing and something is going on and I'm not focused on the audience, let's say, I'm, I'm too divided. You know what I mean? I'm trying to, you know, get this happening. I'm trying to get my man in the club. I'm trying to make (laughs) sure my girl is situated. I'm trying to make sure, yo, 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 sound man. Like it's too much. So if you're able to take and focus on something, the impact of it is, is powerful. And then when you're focused on it and you train your mind to think like that, then what happens is that there's no fear in it because you're focused and there's no panic because that thing you're focused on is the only thing that matters. Think about. Are you right. big on meditation? I was
0: about to say a mirror sound like what we talk about. All the
6: time. Uh, I, I don't have no problems with it, but I guess in a form, I do a kind of, I guess it's like a form of med- meditation because when I'm running, I may be running for 70 minutes, 60 minutes, yeah. 90 minutes. And, and every time my mind, Is trying to take me someplace else. Mm -hmm. I'll be like, no, 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 no. We're staying here.
0: That isn't yeah, you're doing it. Yeah.
5: I keep grabbing it
6: and I put it right back. I go like this. No, right here. And then I practice it so much to the point that people don't know how hard it is to think about the same thing for 10 minutes with any interruptions. Just 10 minutes. (laughs) Right.
0: If they try to meditate, they know it ain't it's yeah, yeah.
6: Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I kind of incorporate that in in a lot of things because I feel like fear is not real, but it's real to you when you're going through it. So if I'm able to, you know, control the outcome by my focus, Mm -hmm. then fear can't get in there. So if I'm dealing with a situation like City College, If I'm dealing with a situation where I see somebody who got shot at a club or a family member, instead of me panicking, I'm focused and I Mm. deal with that. And it's, I'm so focused that I'm not allowing nothing to stop me. And anybody that's giving me anything, I can hear when it's something I need. But if it's, ah, oh my God, I can't, I don't need that. You know, meaning like if you said, so, Doug, I got a ride for so-and-so, um, I can hear you. And I would grab the person and put them in the ride. So okay. it's a focus, but being able to understand what's necessary. I don't know if I went too far
4: with this, yeah, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know. Nah, <laughs> it's, it's a
5: near four. Yeah, question uh, for you, Doug, because you've, um, you know, in terms of your faith, because we um, know that you've been involved with like Scientology for a while. Is that having that kind of focus? Is that something that, you know, you learned in that faith? How does that help you as an entertainer?
6: It's funny. That's a a real good question, bro. You know what? I didn't get that from Scientology. I discovered it from just running, you know? And Mm, I run. Like my running is the thing I love to do, you know? So when I'm running, I started to discover how, my mind is all over the place trying to keep itself busy because I'm trying, you know, you're running and you're trying to breathe.
3: Mm-hmm. And so
6: so all of a sudden, I say, yo, the mind is panicking. Yo, Dougie, why are you pushing me like this? Yo, you know this is too heavy. Yo, so why you got me? And then I'll go like this. Shut up, bro. Like, Let's say, like, <laughs> shut up. Shut up. Shut up. I'll be like,
3: all right. Mm-mm.
6: And then I'll be like, we doing this right here, and now I want yeah. you to relax, don't panic, and breathe, and 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 not to the degree to say, if I needed to slow down, you slow down, yeah. but mm-hmm. don't panic. See that's the yeah. part, that piece right there. Right, don't panic.
5: I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, cool. I yeah. going to say. Nah, a good buddy uh, of mine is uh, is actually your tour DJ. My man, DJ Skills. That's that's my guy. Oh, that's um,
6: a bad man. That's a
5: bad man. Oh, that's yeah. That's a, bad, he's a man. bad man. Yeah, that's my dude. <laughs> and he was telling me uh, going out with you, he was like, yeah, Dougie, he will work out before the show. He always tells me, he's like, yo, Doug, work out or he'll, you run or whatever for the show. Right. You shower, kind of have your time and then you do it. Right. So right. he always, right. he speaks right. highly of you, man.
6: Well, I, yeah, I think- yeah
4: when when you mention when we mentioned meditation earlier what i what i do know is the sort of common factor the reason why people jog the reason why we work out the reason you know i've said in past episodes about like advanced breathing techniques and sexual activity like anything that causes you it's all you, breathing
6: that's right mm-hmm. yes
4: anything that causes you to breathe like it's your last breath oh, somehow yeah. your mind your mind goes into another which is, I know this is weird to say. I kind of want to know. I don't want to know, but I do want to know what, what the mind state is to a person that's about to drown. Because but I also believe I almost, believe,
6: drowned. I almost so- drowned. That's how I came. That's another. That's how I came up with this. As really? a kid, I almost drowned. I almost Talk drowned at Central Park Lake. Me and two of Jay, my man. friends Hit took it. a little boat. We took one of them little boats. We was cutting school. They talked me into it. And I, I jumped on the boat with him, and we didn't even have oars. We were pushing out with, with a little log, and then all of a sudden, one, he heard, heard the siren. So he knew he wasn't supposed to be doing nothing, so he had fear. <laughs> he jumped into that water. He started swimming. And so when he jumped, the boat pushed back. Then all of a sudden, the other one was there. I said, man, I ain't jumping in that water. Come on, me and you, let's just roll back. And all of a sudden, he was like, yo, come on, man, come on. So his fear, he transferred it to his cousin. His cousin jumped out the boat, started swimming. Then he said, dog, come on, man. The cops are going to get us. I'm telling you, the cops are going to get you. You know, here we are. Young, I said, man, I don't care what he say. I'm rowing this damn boat. And, you know, so I get close <laughs> to the I, I I think that I'm getting, I'm close enough. He's panicking. I allowed his fear to get in me. I jumped in the water. I'm doggy paddling. I'm saying this is close enough. I think I'm good. And I put my feet down under me, thinking that the ground was there. Oh it no! wasn't no ground. <laughs> there wasn't no ground. It wasn't no ground. And I started <laughs> wasn't No ground, me. Monty. Right.
4: <laughs> wow.
6: Right. I mean, when I'm I, and then my man came in and he grabbed me and pulled me in, right? And when he pulled me in, I'm spinning. I'm spinning the water up. So now, when I go to the pool, and this is a real story, I'm over here. Everybody's in the five feet, six feet. You know, summertime pool is where. Where everybody at the girls right. I'm over in the little four feet or the three feet sitting in there with my feet in the water. <laughs> I'm just shook. I'm shook like to a point it was crazy. Then I said, Look, I can't live my life like this. This is crazy. I said this is not even this make me feel crazy. Every time I'm getting in water, I'm shook. So then one day I went to Hawaii to 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 go do a show because this was going on for a while. I right. got in Hawaii and the dude was sitting out on a raft. And my man, my sound man, said, Yo, come swim out, man. Yo, come come out here. So I of a sudden I said, All right, I got to break this. I, I jump in the water and I swim out. I get to the raft, he sit there, talk to me, ask me like two different things. He said, Well, I gotta go. I'm jumping off the raft. He jumped off the raft and he <laughs> he swims back to the to the beach. I'm sitting there going, Damn, this is crazy. I gotta go all the way back now. So I ju- <laughs> so I jump in the water and I start swimming. And when I start swimming, I said. I stopped and then I lay in the water and I'm floating and I said, wow, now I get it. I said, the reason why I almost drowned is not because I can't swim. It's because I panicked. And when I panicked, it took everything out of me. It made me not think. It just made me just have so much fear. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It It took everything out of me. And I said, if I relax, if I breathe, and if I trust myself,
3: mm-hmm. and if
6: I allow this to make sure that that fear is not there, then it's not as hard. And that lesson is the lesson that I have applied in every aspect of my life. From that time that I drowned to the time that I discovered that, and then I learned that when you run even when you breathe it. most people stop running because they panic when their breathing is getting cut short right so the key is to think and focus on the breathing and then you relax the same way if a person is you know you know you're going into a stressful situation you have to relax and then the energy will flow and I mean, I used to say it like this, too, but we keeping it real on this little calm. Y'all, y'all took me to a yes level indeed. and I didn't even think we But like even if you're using the bathroom, bro, if you don't relax.
0: You got to relax. You, relax. Yes. you, you right. Go. You
6: yo, don't. do not the And room. there's that clip, like ladies this. and
4: gentlemen. Dougie Fresh like. on Questlove Supreme.
5: No,
6: <laughs> 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 yo, you sitting there like this, bro. You sitting there like this. Oh, oh, oh. I don't want nobody to hear me. I don't want nobody to see me. And then you be like, all right, I ain't gotta go. You see what I'm saying? But until I'm 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 keeping it so real, and I know y'all know it's true that if you don't relax, yo, if you don't relax, it's crazy. So yeah. that's a that's a big part
0: it really is. of life of, lessons. Of, wow.
6: of, yeah. of, of, of controlling fear. You can't control fear unless you relax.
1: Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
5: I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy.
0: My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it.
5: i never seen a man How'd we do today? We did good. Good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: We got to get to the show eventually.
3: (laughs) He's just growing up right
4: now. But I I do have one question. You mentioned um, a legendary Harlem figure that I don't know anything about besides his record labels, but um, could you please, like, we've heard everything about Jersey and Sugar uh, Sugar Hill with Sylvia and Bobby the Robinsons yeah. in Jersey, but a lot of people don't know that the Bobby Robinson that runs Enjoy Records is another Bobby Robinson. I I know nothing about, and you know I, I'm a fan of uh the Godfather of Harlem and Bobby Robinson's character. Oh, he's in this season? Yeah, he's been, yeah, Bobby Robinson's sort of been uh, a a figure in the first and the second season. He owns a local record store, obviously. Oh, okay, I saw the first season. I didn't see it. Right, so obviously, you know, like, I can see, like, you own a record store, and then you start your label, yada, 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 woo. But can you talk about Bobby Robinson and what he meant to the community of Harlem, like, and your dealings with him? Like, what was he like?
6: Bobby Bobby Robinson was a very mild-mannered, low-key, community-friendly guy who was not a very big guy, but he was a guy that all of us respected because he had his own record shop. He you would go to his record shop. He had the Mom and Pop record shop and you would you would hear Everything that came out from the Treacherous Three, from the Fearless, from Cool Kyle, from anybody, from Funky Four. And he was the first guy out there doing it. But the problem is is that in the community, Bobby Robinson was also known as a guy who did not pay and he did not pay no rappers. So so when I when I did the deal with him, I got some money up front from him because I knew based on the history of what he did with the truck, I used to sit in Bobby Robinson record shop and watch Treacherous 3 come in there. And L.A. would be like, yo, where Bobby, man? I'm looking for my money, man. I would watch Moe come in and go, is Bobby in here? Yo, where's he at? And I would watch how people respected Bobby because he was the guy who looked like he knew more than us. We were kids. But he, it looked like he didn't, Either explain what was going on, or he was doing things and didn't really come clean on what he was doing. Okay. You, you understand? Okay, or, so
4: yeah. okay, so 1981, and I get a deal with Enjoy Records. What? How's the deal brokered? Like, what is? How's an it okay done? or fair deal for yeah. Enjoy Records? Are you giving me? And you're Bobby Robinson. Are you giving me and my crew like 500 bucks to do one side or like what's what kind of deal am I striking with you? If you're Bobby Robinson, I want to make a rap record.
6: Bobby Robinson is not giving you a deal where you really know what 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 you're going to get. You might get 10 cent a record. You might get 12 cents a record or 15 cents a record. But he is not sitting down with a lawyer and going through a deal with you. He know you're a hungry young kid who could rap, and he's just trying to put the record out, and he's saying, yo, here, sign this, and we're going to work it out, and there's no way for you to take account to how many records he sold because he's selling them out the trunk or he's passing them around as to mom and pop distribution. Bobby Robinson was a guy that, for me, I watched every hip-hop artist that he had signed from Grandmaster Flash to Funky 4 the Treacherous Three, and Fearless Four. I watched all of them.
3: Hmm. He
6: had them all. And he never dealt with them in a way that they felt confident that they were going to get compensated for their music. And with me, I just did one single with them, two-sided, because I did get Fresh dug on the other side, because right. I needed to have something out, because I seen what was going on in regards to people believing that I might have got it from fat boys which originally was disco three so when i got with him it was only for strategic purposes it wasn't he i knew that bobby robinson was not a guy that would pay you and he would not he was not a guy that you could see yourself making money with
4: so you went with joy just so that you could stop the bleeding of of the fat boys being the sole creators of the beatbox like, I right. got to get in the... Okay, I get it's it, man. Marketing right, here.
6: right. So I strategically, I said, if I hit them with the movie, if I hit them with just having fun and get fresh duck, because remember I said, for all the sounds you be boxes are doing, all you bit from me, I should be suing. Some say yay where well, they should be going from the time you hit this rhyme, your career is ruined. That's the way I opened <laughs> it up.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: You know what I mean? And then, and so once I did that, it was to make people know. And then out in Long Island in 82, I met Biz. And then I would have Biz with me everywhere because Biz was coming to my house. And he was going to the store for my mother. He was going to the store for my grandmother. And he was up under me because he was trying to learn to beatbox. So I had him there. You taught and Biz then how to beatbox? Lincoln- Yes, Biz is Biz was Biz is one of the members, the first members of the Get Fresh crew. Did not know Biz this. You forgot even, to tell us that Biz. You forgot <laughs>
3: to tell us that Biz. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, in yeah, yeah.
6: Yeah, that's my brother. I love him. He's on this new album that I just let out. Yeah, the you know last I mean? verse was from That was one Biz. of our last times together. Yeah. Last, and then, and, and and he's he's family. You know what I mean? So, and then eventually, and then. It got a little weird because he's trying to do the beatbox. I'm doing it. And I'm like, yo, bitch, you know, you biting straight up. I can't let uh. you do that, bro. I can't. And they he's like, all right, all right, all right. And then that's when he went to Magic. But I was with Magic first. But Magic was trying to get me to battle everybody. So I didn't like that. I didn't like how Magic was trying to get me to go in there and battle every single person that he had that, that he didn't like. Because he was getting high at the time and he right. wasn't the same Mr. Magic from WHBI. You know what I mean?
4: Doug, one more enjoyed era question that I gotta sure. know about. You know, because I come from a lineage of musicianship, you mm-hmm. know, and all respect to Keith LeBlanc and, and Doug Wimbush of Sugar Hill. But
6: you're talking about Pumpkin, baby. But I, I, know I gotta know about <laughs> Pumpkin.
4: Ooh, right. So Let for, for our something. listeners that don't Ooh. know, Pumpkin... Pumpkin was the you know, for Keith LeBlanc and, and and Doug Winbush to be the house band of Sugar Hill Records over at Enjoy Yo. Records up in Harlem. Right. Uh the leader was Pumpkin, the drummer. And you know, if you if you're if, if you're a, a a beat head, you know, if you collect records, then his interpolation of uh Tower Power squid cakes uh hmm. was done I think even better, you know, I I prefer Love Rap by Spoonie G, that break, Ooh. more than <laughs> the oh original break God. that it should have came from. Can you tell me anything about, I knew nothing about Pumpkin. What let was he me, like?
6: Let me tell you about the original Pumpkin. Customer. Right, 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 right. Pumpkin. Pumpkin was unbelievable. One day, and this is what happened with Bobby Robinson, and this is what made me do it like I did it. Pumpkin was in there and I told him a beat I wanted him to play. He played a beat. He'll go to the keyboards. I said, give me this sound. He'll go in there. He'll pick up the sound. If you needed him to play the bass and grab the bass and put that in there. Pumpkin was like a one man. man And what Mm -hmm. happened and if you listen to love rap when it's going that beat and then if you hear in the back you hear the percussions. That's Spoony G's brother. And his name is Poochie. All of them little coonies. Poochie was his heard, brother? Poochie is Spoony G's brother. Never knew that. Be, wow. Be, it, this, this thing runs so deep. But but Pumpkin, and before Pumpkin passed, Pumpkin came to the studio and he kept saying, Dougie, let me, let me play a beat for you tonight. Come on, Dougie, me and you, let's go back to back. Let's do a beat. And in the middle of everything going on, before me and him were before me and it were able to get together, he passed away. But Pumpkin was a guy that. That's why we did this. That's why he did the song Pumpkin and the All Stars. Yeah, We remember that one, because Pumpkin and if you who sing singing that? Oh, that was his kid named Fly Fly Tide. Out of, I out
4: thought
3: of he was
6: Michael Jackson. <laughs>
4: we are the
3: <laughs> <fuck you>, All Stars. <laughs> that's crazy, oh, man. right? That's wow. crazy wow hey, look
6: look look pumpkin was pumpkin was honestly as a drummer as a musician he was a guy that you could tell your ideas to and he would be able to give you the idea just like you wanted it and add some things that was really really good so my first record i was gonna mm-hmm. do was was a, a song with pumpkin but we never got to finish it I was going
4: to say, because if it wasn't for Pumpkin passing away, would you have worked with Teddy Riley for the show in 1985?
6: If you Pumpkin I- were
4: still alive, would you have gone to Pumpkin instead of Teddy Riley?
6: I would have probably went to Pumpkin, but also I was I was teaching Teddy about hip-hop because Teddy was from the He's church. a church kid, yeah. Right, so we used to cut school. And that's when I introduced him to swing. Wow. And that was the beginning of it because, because the drums, you know, let me talk to you as a producer now, like on the DX or the DMX, the button in the back would determine how much swing that you put into a beat. Right. If I'm going, that's swinging. Run DMC's beat used to be like, not, it's, it's more like,
3: Right like action.
6: Mm-hmm. So what I brought was shh, 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 shh. so oh,
5: that swing heaven. that heaven. swing
6: <laughs> that swing. And right. I did it because Greg Greg G from the Disco 4 owed me some money because I did a show for him because he was a promoter on the side. And because he owed me money, he lent all of his equipment to Teddy. And when he lent it to Teddy, he said, Yo, man, I ain't got the money right now for jokes. If you want to work on your music and you want to get your joint done, yo, I got the equipment over there at Teddy's house. I said, really? He said, yeah. So I went over there. Teddy had all of his equipment over there. And right over there is when I started to make up the pattern of this show, the drums. And then that's when I hit that shaker. And many, that's when.
4: huh? How many tracks were you like? What equipment made the show?
6: I use I use the DX drum machine and I use a series of keyboards because my manager was the one in the studio that played everything because it's just a complicated story man but <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. but but you know but the 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 truth of the matter is that I know that the show would have never became what it is if I didn't have Teddy there to be able to 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 express my ideas the way that I expressed them
4: you know what i, I mean was, and- i was going to say the wow. show is one of the most unusual formatted songs i've ever heard because if you really if you really break down the show the show is almost like it's almost like I wouldn't say interludes, but I would almost say seven vignettes, because mm. nothing, <laughs> right. nothing repeats twice. Like the here we go, here we go, come on, come. on. It's almost like it's like a every, bunch of hooks all jammed together. Every part together. could be a
5: hook, mm-hmm. right? Like every four bars is a hook. Yeah. And I know right. you
4: guys aren't dealing with like Pro Tools and okay, cut these no. four bars. The, so you, it's almost like I feel like you had to map out. That entire How are y'all song? sequencing this shit? Yeah, I
6: did. I did. I did. I went over there. I sat down. And this is when I first learned how to count the bars and arrange it. So I sat down and I arranged the whole thing. And when I arranged it, I went over to his house after I made up the track. Because this is how y'all understand this because y'all are musicians and y'all know the game. You go there, you feel the music and you make it up. After you make it up, I would take the tape home and then I would, you know, play around with it. I'll go to Will's house, Barry's house, then I'll come back and say, I like this. I like this. And so I wanted, I I just structured it where I want the horn to hit here. I want this to be it. And I learned how to structure it based on how many bars everything was Mm -hmm. on the song. And then after it was all done, then I had to go back and program the drums. So so I can separate all of these pieces. So you and were cutting we, and pacing? No, with, I just I just programmed it like that, Teddy. I told Teddy what I wanted to do, and right. he knew how to work the equipment. And so he sat down, and whatever I was asking him to do, he would do it. I'll say, like Teddy was the one who came up with the drum roll. So so because I was doing a drum roll, and a mine was cool, but then and and, and he heard mine. And it was in his, it's like a combination of what I was doing and what he added to it, which made it better. So the other part that any contribution that anybody was trying to make to the song, if it felt good and if it worked, it didn't matter who came up with it. It was about making this thing as hot as it could be. Like when I hit the shaker, I hit the shaker by accident because it was, I was looking for something else. And then when I hit the shaker, I just started to, you know, because I'm I'm doing the beatbox and all of that stuff. Sh- 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 I started, I started really moving it. And then when I was working with the drum machine, Teddy, I said, I want swing in it. And and he was like, okay. And he put a little, I said, No, I got to swing harder than that. And then he mm-hmm. started to, No, I got to swing harder than that. I said, That's it right there. That's swing. And and nobody was using it. Man. Not like that. I'm
4: gonna tell you. To be alive and of age in 1985, you, I'm probably the last human that got on the, the train of the show right before it took off because I spent the entire summer of 1985 in California mm. where it was all about Toddy T's
5: Bataram. The Bataram.
6: I remember. Bataram, Bat-a-ram. right? Bat-a-ram. Yeah. So I remember that joint. I remember. Like, that joint. yeah, my
4: cousins, my cousins were bangers. Whatever. Like and literally, that's all you only heard Bataram. So to spend June, July, and August in California, in in Altadena, Pasadena, with my teenage cousins, only hearing Bataram. I come back home to Philly. And this is this is how I know that 1985 was probably the last regional year for hip hop, where mm-hmm. like only regions you only dealt with their regions and it wasn't like fully national yet. And I got home and saw you know the, the landed my plane landed like three four in the afternoon. Got home and I remember like talking to the kids on the block, and I just knew I was up on something that they weren't up on. And I was like, yo, y'all know about Bataram? Now, I'm from Philly. Right. They looked at me like I was an alien. They're like, what the hell is a -A -A Bataram?
6: I'm like, you Bataram? You can't stop. (laughs) I'm
4: singing the first verse and everything. They just looked at me like, it was like the the block was laughing at me. They're like, nah, we only know about the show and Lottie Dottie. And I was like, the (laughs) what? Did not know about this. Literally, this is like two days before school started. And they told me, "Nah, this is this has been number one on Power ninety nine for three months in a row. Like, right? That's the that's the last time I felt so late on something that the whole world was up on.
0: <laughs> you still had till you still had till nineteen ninety one to get back on it again. Because I was gonna say, did did the New Jack City? I wanted to know the story between on the New Jack City situation and how it became kind of that scene and in that movie and how you even." Allowed them right. to use it. Yeah, because I felt like yeah. when it came back into Ninja City, it, it just gave it new life. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, the show never yeah. died. I think it's no, the I mean, like it most timeless. Was, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: For starters, I guess we should ask you, how did you hook up with Slick Rick to start this
6: group? Well, that's an interesting question because Slick Rick was, well, he wasn't Slick Rick. He was Ricky D. Ricky D. Right. He was Ricky D. And he was with his crew that, man, y'all, y'all asking some questions, man. The Kango Crew. Take y'all Kango out. Crew, right? Well, yeah, it was the Kango Crew, but where I seen him, see, the Kango Crew was in his school. Okay. Where, where he was doing his thing was up at the Cadet Club in the Bronx. Now, Rick was moving around with different guys trying to get his, get his hip-hop thing going on, and... There was a guy named Donald D. And it was another dude named June Love.
5: June Wait, the Donald Love, D down with the ice the tea? Ice tea D. D. Yeah, ice tea, the rhyme syndicate, Donald no, D? No,
6: no, this is okay. another guy. And he calls himself now Dandy Dawn. He's still alive, right? But it was these three guys,
5: me and Tito, was
6: hanging out one night. Tito came by my house from the Fearless Four. And we hung out. And we went uptown, and they had an MC contest. Now, I was known to take... A lot of MC contests because my style was was basically the new thing with the beatbox, I'm rhyming, it's crowd participation, I'm dancing, it's Harlem, it's a whole nother thing. There's melody. So it was a new dimension of hip hop coming in. Long story short, me and Tito got on, and the girls love Tito. So <laughs> it was like a, it was like a it was like, let's go get this money, Tito. But then they said, <laughs> We couldn't be in it because they looked at him as a professional and they looked at me as a professional, even though I didn't have a record out at the time. Nothing major. But mm-hmm. this is so Rick, June Love and Donald D was in the contest. So when they was in the contest, the Cold Crush Brothers was in the contest, too. So this is how the story go. I was there watching Rick, watching June and watching him. I said, yo, these dudes is nice. I said, yo, yo, Tito, look at them, they Nice. And he was like, yeah, yeah. And T La Rock was up there. And mm. he's like, yeah, oh, wow. you know, it's yours. It's yours. Yo.
5: Yes, sir.
3: Was, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> story.
6: Right. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> so we up there, and then all of a sudden, say, yo, I heard Rick. And so the rhyme that you're hearing him say on the show was the rhyme that I heard him say in the contest. Okay. And so when he said that rhyme in the concert, I said, yo, that kid is nice. So the kid Donald D was rhyming about a beef patty. And when he bought the beef patty, some they burned it and they flipped it on the other side and gave it to him. And they tried to hide it. You know what I'm saying? And he wrote a rhyme <laughs> about the beef patty. I was like, yo, these dudes is ill. Because I haven't heard nobody rhyme like this, you know. Long story short, June Love, st- June Love was going to team up with Greg Nice. June Love got murdered. So the style uh, that you hear Greg Nice rhyme in is June Love's style.
4: Okay. So the Got Greg it. Nice style of the fan, man, in front of fan. That is based <laughs> right. on
5: June but,
6: Love. June Love, right. And June Love was a part of Kango Crew.
5: Okay. You following wow.
4: me? Got it. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to. And then another b boxer, Greg Nice.
6: <laughs> right, but Greg Nice was also under my guidance because the Fearless Four, he wanted to do the beatbox for the Fearless Four because they wanted something to balance out what they wasn't doing. And because I rhyme do the beatbox. So Greg Nice was another piece that he, he was going with Fearless Four. So that's my man, all of that. But I'm just telling you, he I started feel- to transition into the June Love style because he was going to do the beatbox for June Love. But okay. when June Love lost his life, Greg basically took the style and then he went forward with it. So while I all it. that was going on, Rick seeing me get on and then I'm doing parties throughout the whole city. So everywhere I go, Rick is like, yo, Dougie Fresh, man. yo, you think you could put me on with you? I said, yo, I gotta hear you, man. I gotta hear out night, you know, see if you're good. Whatever, you know, I said, yo, you seem like a cool dude. He said, yeah, man, my name is Ricky D, man. I said, yeah, I seen you downtown, man. That rhyme you said was kind of slick. He said, yeah, man, I'm nice. So I would go all of these different places and I would see him. He would be pressing me. Like everywhere I go, I'm in the door. He's like, yo, Doug, put me on. I get off stage. And then he'll be standing there. He'll be like, yo, I seen you get on, man. Yo, yo, you think we could go back on? You could put me on with you? And I'll be like, I can't do that, man. I just got off. And one day I'm going down the hill in Convent Avenue in Harlem. And hes I see him on the phone. I don't know how. He was on the corner on a phone while I'm walking down the hill. The odds is like a billion to one.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I take
6: him over to Will's house. I got this little drum machine, the RX-7, that I got from O.C., from Fearless Sport, one of his DJ, because it was Crazy Eddie and OC. O.C. was trying to sell me the drum machine. So you know, you when you were broke, you trying to borrow somebody's drum machine and trying to get as most out of it as you can. And then right. you know, you, you gotta, you know, they stress you, then you give it back. You know how that was. I so yeah, so Rick came over and um I say, yo, Rick, come over to the house, man. And then right then and there is when I say, yo, let me see what you got. I got on, a couple of other dudes got on, and that was the day that he started Lottie Dottie. And when he said it, wow. mm. he, could, he couldn't he could even finish the rhyme because we was laughing for at least an hour. I mean, it was like, <laughs> yo, let me tell you something, bro. Rick was so goddamn funny. I'm talking about like he was hilarious. I mean, to the point that we all in there holding our stomach. He can't finish the rhyme. Then all of a sudden at the end of the rhyme, he say, I told you I was nice. I told you I was nice. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
6: Wait, are
4: are there any other takes of Lottie Dottie that we've not heard?
6: Because it's just oh, you yeah, two. There's, yeah, there's a couple. I mean are there I alternative mean, takes of it? Nah, nah, we what we did in what we did on Wax was when we made that. That was because my manager at the time said, yo, why don't y'all do that thing called Lottie Dottie that all the kids are talking about in the street? Because Lottie Dottie was created in 84. And what I did is when when I heard the rhyme, I said, yo, this rhyme would be crazy if I did the beatbox and I just come in with different words and I change the beat so that it doesn't get boring. And I said, "Yeah, this will be good." And then all of a sudden, and I said, "And we could." And then he was excited. I said, "And we could take all the rap contests." He was like, "Yeah, yeah, that's what I want." Because he felt that he got jerked when he was at the cadet corps because they didn't they didn't win. Right. So okay. so he had this big thing on his shoulder saying, "I'm taking every contest." So then we started going around in the city, just taking every contest. And then when we did it on record. We took out the second part to Lottie Dottie because we mentioned Vanessa Williams. Vanessa Williams. Oh, the at man, yeah, oh, we couldn't man. Do that. Yeah, let yeah, me go yeah, yeah. until yeah. you
4: told oh, me. Told me. Told Wait a me. minute. Wait a minute. God, this is like the, the rabbit hole of life. I just got to do you have any of those tapes from. Of course. Okay. Um, of course, coming to your with crib. Of course. of course. Of course. Literally, of course. More than the 12 inch. There was there was again a Philadelphian there was a dude uh my my go-to cheesesteak guy every Sunday <laughs> my go-to cheesesteak guy I love
6: it I like he how would you have
4: say that. he would have like he had cousins from New York that always put him on to like those T connection tapes and those Harlem World tapes right. so when I'm you know Sunday after church my my routine I get a cheesesteak after church And he's always playing some live, whatever. And one of these Sundays, he had, like, uh, much to my mom's dismay, this is the first time I'm hearing Treat Her Like a Prostitute, the live version. Right, right. And I snuck back. I was like, mom, I'm going to get some potato chips. I'll bring it back. And I snuck up to him. I said, (laughs) and I had one of those, uh, like, my mom's, you know, you always record over your mom's tapes or whatever. And right. I had like one of her old, gotten like one of the gospel tapes that she just brought mm, from church, God. and oh was like, "Yo, can you can you make me die this, <laughs> and I'll be back tomorrow for lunch." And I lived with it's it's a live version of you two just doing your whole routine, and I studied that shit till yeah. the tape popped. It popped, and I never got. I gotta get that back again. But
6: yo 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 yo, that's crazy. You saying that? I mean, you know, see. When we when we pre- treat him like a prostitute, we were already doing that, and that was going to be the next thing we was going to let out and some other things that we had, right? But what was crazy is when I heard Jay and them do it with the beat, it changed the whole vibe of it. It wasn't like the same. Oh, it
4: wasn't the same.
6: Yeah. Like, I'm probably the only person
4: like, that, like, yeah, when yeah, I heard yeah. it, I was like, oh, man, I don't want it with music. I want it with Dougie.
6: Right, 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 right. But so, you know it's crazy, it's real like that, and that's interesting because, like I said about frequency, going back to that, it was a matching of a frequency. You see, see when you doing the beatbox, people think it's easy or it's simple. It's like the way you, if you're playing the drums, you're playing to to align your spirit with the person that you're playing for. You're not playing like a drum machine you're playing like a spirit. So when they doing this and that, you got to flow. So what Lottie Dottie is, it's the match, to match him and to move with him and to make him be the best he can be. It wasn't about me. It was about how can, how can we make this be the best? And I had to match the way the energy move, if I don't match the way the energy move, you're just liking me. But Mm -hmm. I don't just want you to like me. I want you to like what's going on. I want you to feel it. So it it has to move. You know what I mean? And that's how, that's the reason why I treat him like a prostitute. Live is better than the drum machine. Yes, it is. How, okay, so by September,
4: first of all, let me just declare that I probably think that the show Lottie Dottie is one of the greatest 12 inches of all time mm-hmm. for any. I appreciate fra- for I, 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 I'm afraid to ask. I, I pray the answer is yes. I hope you still own your publishing for Lottie Dottie because well, mm, it's mm. probably the most sampled song of uh, in hip hop history.
6: Um, yes, I do. Yes, oh. I do. Yes,
4: Shoot I
5: do.
6: But not only do wow. I own nice. the, the, all of the, the, the publishing, I made sure Rick owns his publishing. <gasps> and and, and, up, the, sto- and, the, and the, the other side of the story, which only a Quest love and the Supreme team could get, is when I made the show, uh, Quest, when I did Just Having Fun, I called it Just Having Fun because I was learning about the studio and I knew Bobby Robinson wasn't going to pay nobody. So I wasn't going to try <laughs> to do everything that I could do with him. That was number one. Original mm-hmm. Human Beatbox was with Ventertainment Vin- Records and Vincent Davis. I had an oh, argument right, with him yeah. because I, I made the beat up and he put that bing, bing, bing sound in there and it sounded oh, like a toothpick. Like I hated it.
4: Man, I, I love it. that shit.
6: I hate it. And you know, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, what, I love the guitars, but I hated that sound because I had a different idea that I felt was better and me and him got into a conflict. So that vocal was just a practice, a rough vocal on what I was getting ready to come back and do better. So then I left the studio and I started doing shows. I stacked up all my money. And when I went in there, I made the show and la di And when I told Rick about the show, he said, that idea is whack, that ain't gonna work. So then I Mm. said, Rick, I said, trust me, I know what I'm talking about. The same way I told you that this beatbox thing is going to work with this routine. So then what happened, he trusted me and we went into the studio and I made the show and I made Lottie Dottie. I took it to Profile Records. Profile Records heard it. He said, this is the worst music I've ever heard. He said, who's that guy sounding like that? And what's this little clicking sound that I keep hearing in the song? So he said it to me. And I said, Which, who
5: was it at profile? Was it Corey or was it Steve? It,
6: it, was, it was the owner, Corey, I oh, it believe. It Mike Corey, right?
5: Corey Robbins. Right.
6: So listen to this. So afterwards, I said, no problem. Now, I paid all the money. I spent 10, I had saved up 10 grand. I went to Daily Planet Studio in New York. So then after that, I went and I said, man, I got to get this record out. So I took it to WHBI, Jerry Bloodrock, played it and a couple of other guys, they started getting a crazy buzz. So I went to this label called uh, Dania Records.
5: Dang, yeah. Uh, yeah, Right, which is distributed yeah. by
6: Fantasy. Fantasy. So when man. I went to him, I said, he said, yo, I want to distribute the record for you. I said, that's cool. I said, but I'm going to own it. He said, well, I want to buy into the ownership. I said, if you want to buy into the ownership, you got to give me the money back that I spent 20. and then we can go from there. So then what he did is he gave me the money back and then basically I owned the master and I brought him in and I gave him a piece of the master. So in 85, I was the first artist to ever own their master. You see, wow. but I learned that because of what happened over but there I... in enjoy and I watched mm-hmm. it. So when I owned the master, then I came back and when I gave Rick half of the publishing on the show and and um and we both split half of the publishing on Lottie Dottie. And then from there we moved forward. And then now. So was that
5: reality records? Was, was that you? Was that your reality records?
6: Yeah. See, it went from. Oh, oh and by the way, and every record after that, I own the master. So, wow. so oh, it was right. So what happened is that I was seeing. What was going on, and you know, I'm like around 17 years old, 18 years old, but I'm seeing that something just didn't seem right about how people are owning your master. Like I thought that was kind of crazy. And then since I spent the money, I was like, "How you gonna own it?" So now the record blows up. I go to Roxy. Corey is in Roxy. The record is on fire. I mean, bro, when I say fire, I mean fire. Yeah. So now Corey comes in there and he say, yo, could I talk to you? I say, sure. He said, yo, man, I made a mistake, man. Oh, <laughs> How did you yeah, wrong? I, 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 He right. said, I was wrong. He said, man, this thing, I just couldn't see it coming. He said, I was just seeing Run DMC. I couldn't see nothing. This was just so unusual. It was so new. It was so I didn't know what to think. I said, bro, I said, it ain't no problem. I was just giving you the first opportunity <laughs> because you mm-hmm. got the label. I said, it's OK. He said, yo, man, is there any way that we could do something else? Are you signing anybody? I said, well, I got a deal where I got my masters, and I'm also with, with the label, but it's a great deal. I got my publishing. I got the masters. I said, but maybe we could down the road. And then after, he got Dana Dane because
5: he wanted oh. the same label. Gotcha. You see what I'm wow, that makes wow. all the fucking sense. Cinderella, yeah, it. Dana Dane with fame, that album. I yeah, Cinderella right. Dana right. Dane, Nightmares, right. all that shit. Right,
6: right. Wow. And, Dane, and we didn't mind because Dana was a part of the family. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But I'm just showing you how sometimes, once again, it's back to that fear. Mm-hmm. He told me my records was garbage. I was like, okay, no problem. So this,
4: this leads to my follow-up question you two have undoubtedly created one of the and this this is not even a thing where it's like time has to pass by before we know it's a classic right but it's like y'all just hit us with these two singles and then nothing else now of course with you like yes i i realized that oh my god came out in 86 so you
5: did come up with an album but right. why? They came Slick... back. They did sit in my car. They did come back. They did sit well, in my yeah, car. yeah, but like yeah, that that 10, 14 was years going... later. 10 years later, he was going to prison. Yeah.
4: Why? Yeah, did. why did... I... No, but even before prison, what was happening with Slick Rick between 1986 and 1989 before he signed the Def Jam? Like, why, why didn't he why capitalize they... on. You know the
5: hottest single,
4: making ever. you guys a a, mm-hmm. a unit. Like, was that just a one-off deal? And okay, Rick, nah, I'll see you later.
6: Nah, what happened was is that to the blame of us both. I felt that once again, like I said, I was already established in the street. I was moving around. I took Will and Barry, and I brought them together, and that was the first time again with two DJs DJ'd DJ together at the same time. Mm-hmm. There's never been a crew before the Get Fresh crew with two DJs DJed at the same time. D- get Fresh crew is the foundation to the executionist mm-hmm. because that because no, I had two sets and they playing at the same time, not you get on after me. So I was really always trying to push something new. The beatbox was new. I had my guys there. I brought Rick in here. And what happened with me and Rick was, you know, I felt that he was accusing me of doing something that I didn't do. He was accusing me of not. He felt like I was trying to make all the money or something. And that's not true. I gave him half of the royalty. I gave him half of the publishing. I gave him a really good salary while he was on the road. And also the other DJs I had a manager. I gave him 20%. The agent, I gave him, you know, the 10% because he was booking the shows. I had all of these different expenses. And everybody had to, you know, get a salary. And on top of that, I put him in on what was already in motion. And I, I didn't like how we were, we were like this, you know what I'm saying? And then when I started to see how People was getting in his head and people was coming in trying to get into my head. I didn't really like the energy. So I said, I got to pull out of this. And I didn't want no money. I didn't want no producer or no no override or no finder's fee. I was like, bro, you go ahead and do what you got to do because the energy is not feeling good no more. And I think we got too much love for one another. For us to, I felt that the magic we was creating is because once again, he trusted me, I trusted him. And when I felt that there was a violation of him trusting me, it bothered me. And I was young and I should have just allowed him to express that. But I took it personal and I just say, yo, you go do your thing. And then when he went over there, Russell sat him on the bench for multiple years and if we being real, it's because, you know, at that time he didn't really know what to do with him, and I, and and over there at Def Jam, everybody was happy, but not so happy because we were, we were a, a little bit of a threat to people because of the dynamics of all of the things that we were bringing together. But I love Rick, so I didn't want nothing but the best for him, and I just felt like. You know, if the energy is not right, it doesn't make sense for us to go any further.
4: Was there any conversation or reach out to you to do anything on the Great Adventures of Slick Rick? Like, did did nah, Russ call you and to, say, "Yo, will you do something?" Or
6: no, they tried to. I, they didn't call me, but they tried to. They tried to put me in it because if you listen to maybe six or seven, eight songs, my voice is is throughout the whole album. So they right. was trying to balance out the formula of what it was that we created together. So when people are listening to that album, they they're hearing his brilliance and the excellence of the production. But they're also feeling my frequency in there in a subtle way because I'm in there, you know, and I'm in multiple songs. So they were trying to figure out how to bring him where he needed to be. And I look at it like this, too, to be completely transparent. I think that it was necessary because Great Adventures of Slick Rick gave him the platform to express things that I think was important for him to express. And we probably could have figured it out. But I think that would he have been the, the what I call the greatest storyteller? Could he have been that with me? Mm-hmm. And could I have been the entertainer that I have grown to become because maybe it would have been too much force from two different, you know what I'm saying? Two, two different energies and it would not really have been as great as it could have been. And, you know, I just, I just know that like, and then when he was about to go to prison, cause he knew it was happening, mm-hmm. I went up to, to, uh, New Rochelle and Vance Wright was up there and I said, let me hear some of his music, man. And he played something, and I heard sitting in my car. And I said, nah, y'all got a drum machine. Pull that out. And he was getting Mm. ready to do the same thing that he did with uh, Jam Master J. I said, let me do it. And then I put it in there. And then I kept the loop in there. And then when he got out of prison, after doing a long, long, rough ride, I was there for him to perform with him when he got out in LA. And I did that for him to support him, you know what I mean? And then I had the senator go up and, you know, make sure he didn't get deported. And then when the senator became the governor, I brought the governor in because I felt like even though we're not together, we're always together.
0: All right, y'all. I know you want some more, and we got it for you. That was part one of Questlove Supreme's interview with Dougie Fresh. You ready for part two? All right, stay tuned. It's coming up.
4: Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.